this morning uh, to look at the Word of God, would you would you bow with me again for a word of prayer and let's focus our hearts. We certainly believe in prayer uh, here at Elm Grove. We know the Bible speaks to it, and so we we turn our hearts that way. I don't know what you have experienced this week. I don't know what is going on. For some of you, it's been a great week. You're here to celebrate what God has done. For others, it's been a really hard week. For some, it's been a depressing week. For others, it's just been just another week. Let's turn our hearts toward the Lord and see what He has to say this morning. Lord Jesus, we know that You are able to handle all of our hurt and all of our pain and all of our success. You're able to handle the good and the bad and all the stuff in between. Lord, You never change. Though our lives may seem in flux and turmoil, Lord, You are the same. The Bible says yesterday, today, and forever. We thank You that that never changes, that You are always loving and gracious always holy and righteous. So, Lord, this morning as we open your word, I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts, open our minds to receive, to understand, to feel what you want to say to us this morning. We look forward to exploring it, being changed by it, to see the power of your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to do something a little bit different this morning as we open. I've asked Drew Holshue, who is... I call him my favorite UK fan. I don't have any favorite UK fans, so Drew's a special guy. But I'm asked Drew to come up and, and help me out as we get going this morning. Drew looks nice, absolutely. Dressed up really sharp this morning. Linda, did you, did you make him do that? No? How about that? That's incredible. Man, you look good. Absolutely. I'm going to have to stand over here. I, I, I don't look like that sharp. Okay, all right. No. <laughs> Okay, here, here's, what I, here's, what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little word association. Now, we've not rehearsed this in any way. We didn't get here early to practice, so I really don't know how this is going to go. It's going to be really great. We could, we could really mess it up, too. All right, so, so it's, it's, it's Easter Sunday, okay? So if we mess it up, everybody's going to remember. All right, so I hope I don't. I hope you don't either. You ready? Okay, all right. Okay, do a little word association. You know what I'm talking about. I'm going to say a word or a couple of words, and Drew's going to tell me, the first thing that comes to his mind. All right. Are you really you thinking? Yeah. Okay, all right. Okay, all right. You can't hear the wheel turning. No, it's all right. It's all right. It, I, it's, you've got to grease it up a little bit. Okay. All right. Ready? University of Kentucky. Greatest. Uh, that's not right. Did I, did I didn't say this is right or wrong. Oh, this is my, oh, this is an opinion. Then. Okay, all right. Okay. All right. Let's try another one. Let's see if you get this one right. University of Little. Decline. Well, yeah, I decline to answer. I mean, decline. <laughs> so you weren't just declining. I would hurt my feelings. I okay. answer the question. Decline. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know. Can we just close in prayer? We just, it's just time to go home. I, don't, I can't recover uh, from that. Um, Okay, you ready? New York Yankees. Empire. Empire. The evil empire, right? <laughs> okay. All right, now, now the next the next three. You, you've already gotten yourself in trouble with me, but that's really not a big deal. The next three could get you in trouble at home. Okay, so I just warn you up front. Okay. He's, he's, he's okay at home so far, but I'm going to listen. These can get personal. Okay. Okay? And your family's on the front. They might just get up and walk out. Okay? Okay, you ready? Now, I'll make this one really easy at first. Parker Ford. Trucks. 
trucks? Okay, good. He's just staying safe right now. Okay. Here's why Wendy, of course, works at Parker Ford. All right, so you're, you're safe. On. Okay. Parenting. Rewarding. Oh, man, that's good. You're sharp. Gosh. I was going to say something like impossible, you know. <laughs> I'm about done. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm just going to move on. Okay. All right. Ten years ago, it was impossible. It's <laughs> rewarding now, of course, right. Okay. Um, all right. Very last one. Marriage. You are so good. Give her a hand for helping me out. Thank you very much. You are rewarded and blessed and, and somewhat delusional about the Yankees in Kentucky. I understand, but you got the other stuff right. Now, if I'm doing those word associations, I associate the University of Kentucky probably with somewhere I don't want to be. All right, and then the University of Louisville with my favorite, all right, and I'm definitely in the minority on that. I, I told the church when I first came that I didn't mention to the search committee that I was a, a Louisville fan because I knew that would be a deal killer, and I sort of wanted to be here. And so um, I saved that for later on after the vote was already taken, so I'm okay at least for now. The Yankees, I would associate with sleeping outside because if you ask my kids, what, what do you have to do if you're a Yankee fan in our house? You have to sleep outside. And so uh, Parker Ford, of course, I would associate with what I drive. I drive a car from, from Parker Ford. Parenting, again, I would associate with sometimes impossible. And marriage, I would say absolutely just blessed. And so sometimes, of course, you know, as you think about those words and those phrases that I mentioned, you may have a response that was the same as true. Your response may be completely different. You're thinking about something or a phrase or a word that immediately pops into your head, a word association. And some of mine are the same, some are different. But if I were to list those things for you, we'd probably get several different answers. Now, what's interesting is I came across a study this past week about a word association for the word Easter. The George Barnett Group, which is a Christian-based research group that does a lot of very thorough and independent sorts of studies to give churches information on what we need to be focused on and thinking about, did a study recently, and here's what they found. Let me read some of their findings to you. In a response to a free response questionnaire, most Americans describe Easter as a religious celebration. Two out of every three, that's 67%, mentioned some type of theistic or God-centered religious element. Common responses included describing it as a Christian holiday, a celebration of God or Jesus, a celebration of Passover, a holy day, or a special time for church or worship attendance. However, it says, while the majority of Americans indicated some type of spiritual connection with Easter, the research also showed that a minority of adults directly linked Easter to the Christian faith's belief in the resurrection of Christ. In all, 42% of Americans said that the meaning of Easter was the resurrection of Jesus, or that it signifies Christ's death and return to life, 42%. One out of every 50 adults, that's 2%, said they would describe Easter as the most important holiday of their faith. Even within the religious definitions offered by Americans, there is a certain degree of confusion, the study says. 2% of Americans said that Easter is about the birth of Christ. 2%. Now listen, that means that a couple of us in here would have answered that. Now I'm not saying who. Two percent said Easter was about the birth of Christ. Another two percent indicated that it was about the rebirth of Jesus. And one percent 
said it is a celebration of the second coming of Jesus. Not included in this theistic category, another 3% that describe Easter as a celebration of spring or a pagan holiday. Interesting. The types of Americans who are most likely to express some types of some type of theistic or God-centered religious connection with Easter were evangelicals, 93%, attenders of large churches, 86%. Uh, and born-again Christians, 81%, and weekly churchgoers, 77%. Interestingly enough, Republicans at 77% and Democrats at 71% were more likely than independents at 59% and non-registered citizens, 51%, to say Easter has religious meaning to them. So I know that, that on either side of the aisle there's significant disagreement, but at least on this, we're close. Republicans, Democrats, 77% of Republicans, 71% of Democrats, say that Easter has religious meaning for them. Apparently, the independents not really making up their mind on that. That's probably on other things as well, because they're independent. The mosaics, this is interesting. Those that are 18 to 25, known as the mosaics generation, were, least, were the least likely age segment to say that Easter is a religious holiday, 58%. Reflecting the study says, the increasingly secular mindset of young adults. What comes to mind first? When you think of Easter, the word Easter, what, what comes to mind? What would be your word association? Sometimes, you know, it's no big deal if we have different associations for words. Drew and I disagree on a few of those there at the beginning. Big deal. doesn't really matter. It just means we wear different colors when Louisville and Kentucky play. It just means we happen to pull for different baseball teams. It just means that, that maybe we have some little disagreements at the top. Those things really don't matter. Sometimes our word associations have eternal impacts, and we have to get them straight. We have to associate the right words with the right things. There are some things we just have to get straight. I want to give you this morning, very quickly, a Bible-based word association for Easter. You'll see there on the back of your bulletin, if you've still got that handy, a way that you can follow along. I've heard it said that you forget 80% of what you don't write down. So write it down. Just make it look like you're paying attention this morning. I'll talk a little faster, and we'll all beat the crowd for lunch. How about that? In all seriousness, I hope that you'll follow along. And what you'll see on the screen behind me will be a combination of some Bible verses and then those words that will fill in your blanks. If you brought a Bible with you this morning, I'd like for you to turn first with me to the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, which is in the New Testament. You've got your Bible and not really familiar with it, please don't let that stop you in any way. Love for you too. So turn with me anyway, learn where some things are there in the Bible. The Bible is divided into two parts the Old Testament, the New Testament. The very beginning of the New Testament, you'll see the book of Matthew and then the book of Mark. It's the second book of the New Testament. I'd like for you to turn with me to chapter 16. And we're going to begin our Bible based word association. For Easter. Look with me, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 6. If your translation is a little different, don't, don't worry about that. We've got one that I'll be reading on the screen behind me. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they could go and anoint him. Talking about Jesus. This is after he had been crucified and was in the tomb. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance? From the, from, the, from the tomb for us. Look up, looking up, they observed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. They were amazed and alarmed. 
verse 6. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has been resurrected. He is not here. See the place where they put him. First of all, above anything else, what we have to, and this will be elementary for many of you. This will be a great reminder for some of you. This may be brand new to a few. The very first word we have to associate with Easter is plain and simple, resurrection. Plain and simple. If you came for profound truth this morning, there it is. As simply as I can put it. I'm not the most intelligent person in the world, but when I read the Bible, I realize that Easter is first and foremost and always associated with resurrection. That word Easter is a a word that's even associated with the the sunrise. Obviously, a resurrection, a, a new beginning. Certainly, though, we have got it confused many times. Easter is not primarily in the Bible associated with bunnies. Not associated with egg hunts, but we had one yesterday, and it was fun. Nowhere in the Bible will you see Easter grass. Thank God. Easter grass, I think, is from the devil. I think it is. Now, parents, some of you are way past the stage of Easter grass, but those who who are in it right now, you understand what I'm saying. You're still finding Easter grass at Christmas. Somehow it's in the tree. I don't know where it comes from, but it's there. It's from the devil, I'm telling you. It's somewhere in the Bible it says that. I'm not sure I'll find it for you for next week. But certainly, we know that the Bible makes clear that when we what we call Easter is associated with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In all of the Gospels, all four of the Gospels, in the foundation of the church in Acts, you'll see the resurrection. You'll see it being taught, being proclaimed in the preaching of the apostles, in the letters they wrote later on, it focused largely on the resurrection. And so immediately we have to associate Easter with a resurrection. Now, why do I tell you all of that? Well, that's pretty simple, Pastor. Well, you know, come on. We know that. The study shows that many people are now going into a mindset that removes the resurrection from Easter. We make it more secular. We make it more commercial. The Bible says it's all about the resurrection. The Bible's focus on Easter centers on the resurrection. Now, if you've still got your Bible open, I'd like for you to turn to the right from Mark, the book of 1 Corinthians, where we will camp out for just a minute. 1 Corinthians, right after the book of Romans, well, you're not going very far there in your Bible. I want you to look at chapter 15. If we continue this Bible-based word association for Easter, I want us to nail down some things that hopefully will help you in both a practical and sort of a knowledge-based kind of way. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first few verses there. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel that I proclaim to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. Verse 2, you are also saved by it, if you hold to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believed to no purpose. For I passed on to you, as most important, what I also received. And here it is. Here's what's most important. That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas. That's another a nickname for Peter, the, the, the disciple Peter. The disciple named Cephas. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared, for six, to over 500 brothers at one time most of whom remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep, who have died. 
Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and then verse 8, last of all, the one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. Paul here is laying out, and Paul, the apostle Paul wrote this, and he's laying out, here's what I know about the resurrection. First of all, it's included for him and what's most important. You've got to get this stuff. You've got to understand this. That Jesus came, he was he, he was crucified, he was buried, then he raised, he was raised again, and he says, according to the scriptures. So Paul's tone of voice in writing this is not, not really argumentative. He's not trying to give you a, a major defense on things, though he includes that in there. He's simply stating it. That's fact. Second word that I want you to associate with Easter is fact. Some of us would think, well, that's just sort of religious belief. Well, you just gotta have faith to believe in the resurrection, and certainly you do, because none of us saw it. None of us were physically present, but I want you to associate Easter with fact. Well, certainly time has added some doubt, but there was no doubt at first. The New Testament is full of confident talk, confident writing about the fact of the resurrection. That's why you say, well, hold on just a second. Now, now, I've heard different stories, different theories about really what happened let me give you some proofs for the resurrection. Let me read these to you, and maybe you resonate with these just a little bit. Ten proofs for the resurrection. First of all, though some people would argue otherwise, Jesus' body was not stolen. Jesus' enemies would not have stolen his body because that would have propagated the very prediction that he would rise from the dead. Think about it. Jesus' disciples could not have stolen his body because Pilate established Roman guards to stand watch over the tomb lest his body be stolen. Ironically, many of Jesus' disciples were not fully convinced of his resurrection itself until his post-resurrection appearances. The very character and later history of the disciples compels us to believe that they neither stole nor secretly carried away the body of Jesus. second reason is this. In nearly 20 centuries, nobody... That is, physically a body, no body, except the resurrected body of Jesus Christ was ever found. Thus, the evidence needed to disprove Christ's prophecy of resurrection is missing. No body. Third, the mathematical probability of anyone being able to perpetrate any hopes, especially concerning Christ's resurrection, over 20 centuries is astronomically negative. Impossible. Fourth, the prophecy prediction record of the Old Testament is 100% accurate. 100% accurate. Fifth, notice that the chief priests and the elders never questioned in, the, in the, the New Testament whether the tomb was empty. There is no record anywhere that they even questioned whether the guard report was true. They knew it was true. The resurrection had happened. Sixth, notice that the soldiers were told to say that Jesus' disciples came and stole the body away while they, the soldiers, were asleep. How could they have known what was going on if they were asleep? Seventh, the leaders of Judaism in Jerusalem, who had put the Lord Jesus to death, and had nothing to offer to contradict these disciples as they continued to preach Jesus and his resurrection. Because all the people in Jerusalem knew the tomb was empty. If there had been trickery involved, sooner or later it would have been suspected and found out. The next one. The result immediately ultimately would have been that the message that Christ had risen from the dead would, would have suffered the fate of all such unfounded stories. So eventually, this would have been the fate of the story. It would have lost its power. Instead, this truth has swept the world, closed pagan temples, won millions of disciples, brought hope to a, des to a desperate humanity, and was the very foundation of truth for the early church. 
and it's just as fresh and glorious today as it was then. Had fraud occurred, surely one of the disciples, even most of them, would have confessed it under the horrendous persecution they underwent. It would have been possible to live a lie, but seldom will people die for a lie. And most of these men, the disciples, died for what they believed. And then finally, only did Jesus come alive again, but he didn't disappear to leave the disciples speculating through those subsequent days as to what happened to him. Instead, he appeared to to them literally. Paul says he appeared to over 500. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, to the 12, then to Paul himself. You can take the resurrection as fact. You can choose to deny the message of the gospel, but you cannot choose to deny the fact that the gospel is overwhelmingly clear that it in fact happened, that Jesus died, that he was buried, and more so than that, that he was resurrected on that third day. The Bible associates Easter with facts. We go on in 1 Corinthians, and we see in verse 12, of chapter 15, now if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. Listen to Paul as he, as he reasons with him. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is without foundation, and so is your faith. In addition, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have placed our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. The next word that I want you to associate with Easter is, it's essential. It's fact, based upon the resurrection, it's essential. It's essential for our faith. It is the linchpin of our faith. The resurrection is, in fact, not true. That what we believe is useless and worthless, the Bible says. Certainly essential for Christianity in general. Without the resurrection, our set of beliefs is foolish. It's not noble, it's foolish. Without the resurrection, life as a Christian is a waste. I hear what I'm saying today. I've told you the resurrection is fact. And I firmly believe that, therefore I firmly believe that life as a Christian is not a waste. But if in fact the resurrection were not true, it's a waste. Paul says it. Some of you have heard the argument before. Maybe you're talking with someone who is an atheist. They don't believe in God at all, that he even exists. You may have argued with him, well, listen, that's great. But listen, if I'm right and you're wrong, then you've lost everything. But listen, if, if I'm right, then I've gained everything. But you know what? If you're right and I'm wrong, then I've really lost nothing. I've lived a good life. You know what Paul says? It's not true. Paul says if we're wrong, we are to be pitied more than anybody. Why? Because we've placed our hope in something that's false. It's not true. Paul says, why not just live it up here on earth? Some people do that. Some people have chosen to believe the resurrection is not true, that Jesus was not who he said he was. And so as a result, they just live however they want. Why? Because this life then is all there is. And if this life is all there is, why waste our time planning for a life that is to come that is not there? You understand what I mean? Paul said it's fact. But if it weren't fact, what's the point? He said it's essential to our faith. It's huge. It's the reason we live the way we do. It's the reason we will turn from our sins that are enjoyable and will turn toward God. 
only reason we can have is the resurrection is fact. It's essential to our faith, Paul says. He goes on in verse 20, but now Christ has been raised up from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam, the first man, all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward, and is coming the people of Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For he has put everything under his feet. But when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he, God, who puts everything under him, Jesus, is the exception. And when everything is subject to him, then the Son himself also will be subject to him who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. The next word, based upon that passage there, is hope. We associate with Easter, resurrection, fact, that it's essential, and also that it's hope. You see the language Paul uses. Look, if Christ is raised, we will be raised one day with him. We have the hope that because Jesus was raised, he is also coming back as he promised. And his resurrection is just a prelude to what will happen one day. When we are all raised, some of us who will be gone at that point, others may still be here when Jesus comes back. We have no idea. The Bible says we will all be raised. Our bodies will be raised just like his was and will be with him forever. The Bible says those who believe, because Jesus rose, we will also rise to be with God the Father one day. The truth is, all of us, every one of us sitting here, will meet Jesus one day. Every one of us. Now the choice you have to make is how you'll meet him. Will you meet him as your judge? Because you've not placed your faith in him here on earth. You get one shot at it. You get one shot at life. You get one shot to give your life to Jesus Christ to prepare yourself for eternity. And if you choose to reject the message of Jesus Christ, to count on just being a good person, and maybe I'll win my way into heaven, the Bible says, no, 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 There is just one way, and it is a free gift. You don't have to earn it. In fact, you never could earn it. Will you choose to meet Jesus as your judge because you've rejected his message of grace and forgiveness? Because you refuse to allow him to be inside of your life and to forgive you of your sins and make you brand new? Some of us will meet him as our judge. The Bible says that even though we see God as this incredibly loving and gracious God, and he certainly is, he's also a God of righteousness and holiness, and one day he will do away with evil. Some of us, unfortunately, will face him as judge, and we will be caught up in that judgment. Will you face him as your judge, or will you face him as your Savior? As the one in whom you've placed your faith, and the one in whom you said, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. I meet him as my Savior. I don't meet him with fear. I meet him with open arms to, to give him the, the biggest hug I could ever give anyone. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. How will you meet him? All of us will meet him one day. Believers, though, in Jesus Christ have hope that we'll meet him as our Savior, that this life is not the end, that we will be forever with Jesus in heaven. We wait for that in hope, in anticipation. Hope is associated with the resurrection, with the fact, with it being essential. Let me give you from 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 50, one last one. It says this, Paul writes in closing this particular chapter, he says, Brothers, I tell you this, flesh and blood 
cannot inherit the kingdom of God, and corruption cannot inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. The mystery just means here's something new. Here's something that hadn't been revealed before. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. It sounds like the kids over in the nursery, doesn't it? We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. They'll come back changed, but we might not all fall asleep. In a moment, the Bible says, I digress there, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. Because this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal must be clothed with immortality. Now, when this corruptible, talking about our flesh, our bodies here on earth that are messed up by our sin, is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal is clothed with immortality, then the same that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Verse 56, now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The next word is victory, very simply. Hope and victory. You walk away today, I want you to think in Easter means hope, and it means victory. Easter is hope and victory. Easter is not just bunnies and candy eggs and, and Easter egg hunts and Easter grass. Easter is hope. And Easter is victory. Easter is victory over the problems in this world. It's victory over the problems that you face in your life every single day. It's victory over our greatest enemy, which is death. It's victory in heaven forever, whereas the song we saw at the beginning, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more problems. For those of you caught up in it, no more teenage girl drama. You know that, parents? You had teenage girls. It's just drama and craziness all the time. I used to be a youth pastor. I tell those girls, listen, the worst thing about my job is teenage girl drama. You guys always got something going on in heaven. There's no more of that. They're all going to get along. Amen. That'll be a great day when all, the, all those kids get along. Wonderful. No more death. No more cancer. No more depression. There's only love. Only peace. Only happiness. Only light. Only wholeness. The Bible says one day we'll gain all that victory. You realize it's for them, but it's also for now. It, it, it's definitely for them when God abolishes all that stuff and we experience only His goodness, but it's also for now. If it's for them, it's also for now. Victory over sin. Victory over temptation. Victory over a broken marriage. Victory over your past. Victory over what's holding you back in life. Victory over relationship trouble. Victory over your broken heart, over your fear, your guilt, your bad habits. That is for now, not just for them. Thank God it's for them, but praise God it's also for now. You say, okay, what now? I understand. Okay, great. The resurrection, it's fact, it's essential, it's, it's hope, it's victory. What do I take away from this? It's very simple. When you know Jesus... You can say with confidence, you can take this away with you. You can say with confidence, I will rise both now and later in hope and victory because Jesus is alive. I will rise in hope and victory both now and later because Jesus is alive. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you can say with confidence, I will rise over sin. 
I will rise over temptation that knocks me down over and over again. I will rise in spite of my past. I will rise no matter what life throws at me. I will rise over my problems, and I will rise to be the person that God created me to be. I will rise. Not because I'm going to just do better. Not because I'll try harder, form a couple of new habits, and really just stick it out this time. Because Jesus is alive. And only because of that. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of each believer. And it's available to you. And it's available to me. And that power is for those who believe to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. That power that raised him from the dead, folks, is available today. We need to associate the right words with Easter. The resurrection is all about hope and victory. As I've mentioned, it's available to you through the power of Jesus living in and through you. The Bible makes it clear it's not automatic. Not just by breathing do you live in hope and victory. Not just by breathing do you believe in Jesus Christ. It's a choice you must make, each one of us. Hope and victory are available, certainly. But only for those who, as the Bible says, believe in Jesus as their Savior. Turning from a life of self and a life of sin into a life of surrender to Jesus Christ. It's available, but only if you believe. Only if you commit your life to Jesus Christ to say, I want you in my life, I give it to you. To experience that hope and victory, you and I must be changed from the inside out. Paul mentions it in the verses that we didn't read. Paul talks about the change that has to take place in us to inherit the kingdom of God one day, and certainly he's right. Some of us need to start right there. You came this morning and you've yet to be made brand new by Jesus Christ. You came today and you've been trying to be a good person, and maybe you are. The Bible says, unfortunately, there are a lot of good people that will be separated from God forever because they did not surrender their lives in faith to Jesus Christ. So maybe you need to start there. Being changed into a new person from the inside out. Jesus, the Bible says, came to die for our sins. All of us are sinners, the Bible says, deserving death and punishment from God. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, paid for our sins. He died, he was buried, Paul says, he was raised again on the third day to give us new life. The Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth, say it out loud, I want Jesus in my life, and believe in your heart, the Bible says, that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved from eternal separation from God. You'll be saved for the hope and victory that comes through the resurrection. Maybe that's a decision you need to make. Once that happens, then, of course, it's time to take hold of that hope and victory that's available through the power of the resurrection. You'll see there two boxes at the bottom of your outline. You may be asking, okay, that, that's, that sounds really good, and that's a great pep talk for Easter. I used to be a baseball coach, and I understand the, the power of a good pep talk. But when people hit the field, you know they got to play the game. When you leave here today, you got to go play the game of life. How will you apply? How will you take hold of the hope and victory that's available to you through the power of Jesus Christ? As I mentioned, the first step was to believe in him as your Savior and Lord. Apart from that, you can make all the efforts you want. It's not going to make any difference because you've got to start there. But after that, what do you do? And Paul over in 2 Corinthians, actually, he references some things. And don't write anything down in the boxes yet, but you will in just a second. Paul says, how do you apply that hope and victory? 
You apply it through the application of God's Word. You've got to understand what the Bible says. teaches us how to live. And you've got to live it out. And through that, we gain the hope and victory. We apply that to our lives. Paul says by living with an eternal perspective, by not just seeing life just right now, but by seeing what's, what's unseen, what's God up to. You know what? This too shall pass, the old saying goes. How can I live with an eternal perspective of seeing what God sees? Also, that's how you take hold of hope and victory. He says also by not giving up. Don't give up when you face different circumstances and trials that are coming your way. He says by standing firm in your faith, by living a life of thanksgiving, by believing in the hope and victory, by speaking it to others, spilling over to other people. That's how hope and victory is applied. Through faith, through the application of God's word, through not giving up, through standing firm. Those two boxes there, the one on the left. I want you to consider and maybe write down one area of your life needs to receive the hope and victory of the resurrection. What is it? Is it temptation? Is it your marriage? Is it your, your, your relationship with your friends? Is it is it a habit? Is it, is it a, a thought? Well, what is it? Where do you need the hope and the victory of Jesus Christ in your life? Where does that need to be applied? Maybe you'd say, you know what, I don't have enough room there. Listen, just spill over all that bulletin if you need to. Because it's available for every area of your life. There's nothing too far gone that Jesus cannot give you hope and victory in. Where is it? Write it down. Write it down. Make a note of that. Say, God, this is where I need the hope and victory of Jesus of the resurrection of my life, this is where I need it. And then on the right, I ask you, how practically, in what practical way do you need to apply the hope and victory of Jesus? Is it through the application of God's Word? Have you lost touch with what the Scripture says? Do you need to get back into reading and studying and living out the Bible? Is it, is it you know what, I just haven't prayed in forever. I need to get back in touch with God. Maybe it's, you know what, I've, I've just given up. I need to stand firm. I need to see things from God's perspective. How is it that you need to, this week, in that area, apply the hope and the victory of Jesus? Take those things to the Lord today. And you can say with confidence, you know what, I will rise in this area. I will rise over this. I will rise in spite of this. Because Jesus is alive, and I will rise by applying His Word. I will rise by standing firm in my faith, by not giving up. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, I close with this. Paul puts it this way. After he says all of that about the victory that comes, the hope that's there through the resurrection, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain this week. I encourage you, and I challenge you, because of the power of the resurrection, because of the power of our living Lord, be steadfast, immovable. Do what you know God wants you to do, and say, I will rise in hope and victory in every area of my life, no matter what has happened, both now and later, because Jesus is alive. Maybe true this morning that the Lord is sort of stirring your heart, bringing some things to mind. 
thinking even somewhat emotional about some things, that you simply need hope and victory in. You may be a person who is here that is yet to give your life to Jesus Christ, and you are face to face with that decision. What will you decide about Jesus? The Bible says the resurrection is fact. History plays that out. It's going to happen. And if it did happen, then what Jesus said is true. And you have a choice to make. I pray that you'll receive Jesus today for who he is. The one and only Savior. The only one who can give you forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. And I pray that you'll ask him to be number one in your life. To come in and to make you brand new. Say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life and change me. Give me a fresh start. Teach me what it means to live for you. Maybe that's your decision this morning. If it is, I hope you'll pray that simple little prayer. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I believe in you. Or maybe there's an area of your life, if you're already a believer, you just simply need to apply the hope and victory of Jesus. Your marriage, your parenting, your family, your friends, your work, your habits, those temptations, whatever it may be, I will rise. I will rise, the Bible says. Ladies, will you come and pray this morning? Moment, we'll have a closing song. We'll certainly do that. And you need to deal with the Lord and just let your sins. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the victory and the hope that is found in the resurrection. It's found in Easter. And may we not lose sight of that. May that be our focus. Lord, for those who have yet to give their lives to you, I pray you give them boldness even to get out of their seat and come talk with a pastor and say, I want Jesus in my life. Lord, for others who already know you, I pray, Lord, you give us the courage and boldness to say, I will rise in hope and victory over that area of my life. Thank you that nothing is too far gone that you can't fix. Thank you, Lord, for the power of the resurrection. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name.